crush your enemies. They drew first blood, not me. See them driven before you? Oh, my user. And they hear the lamentation of the women. But I pity the fool. Glitter in the dark near the ten hours of gate. Phone home. They're here. Oh, real light sleeper, child. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Jaws of Satan, released January 15th, 1982. It was written by Jerry Holland, from a story by James Calloway, directed by Bob Claver, and released by United Artists. The original title was King Cobra, which was changed after production to capitalize on the audience of the Jaws films, which this film's general structure is clearly modeled after. It was shot entirely in Alabama in late 1980, specifically Tuscaloosa, Demopolis, Childersburg, and a lot of Utah as itself, spelled E-U-T-A-W, which was frustrating for me because I kept thinking I recognized shooting locations, mm. and I was like, nothing shoots in Alabama. So I yeah. definitely haven't seen this. So I was like, oh, that's the hotel from Four Seasons, and that's the house from that other movie. And I was like, no, no nothing shoots in Alabama. <laughs> Uh, before we start, I had a couple of notes here right out of the get-go because sure. uh, my normal setup for when I'm getting ready to watch the movie is like you know open up a document and I paste in all the casts you know and cast and crew so I can kind of like check things off as I go. Right. And I got super excited because I saw Teen at Sawmill and it was like there's a whole bunch of credits for Teens at Sawmill. I was like, oh boy. I, I know what's going to happen to the kids I, I, at the sawmill. I cannot wait for the sawmill scene. <laughs> and let me tell you, we'll get to my emotional reaction oh, when no. we get to the sawmill scene. Yeah. When I hear Tuscaloosa, Alabama, I think of that uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Cleveland, Ohio. Well, oh, it's Mary. a sublime song that you're singing. Yeah, which one is it? Is it the the one about the L.A. riots? Yeah, yeah that sounds right. See, I think of... Of course, in Alabama, the tusks are Lusa, but that's irrelevant. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> right? It's from Animal Crackers. I don't know Animal Crackers. It's the Groucho Marx. He shot an elephant in his pajamas. How it got there, he'll never know. Mm-hmm. I should also mention that uh, we are not alone for this season of the podcast because Brett Parker of Dissect That Film, another wonderful podcast you should check out, is following along our entire calendar for the 1982 season. And he's providing his own commentary. So if you're looking for a second opinion, go check out Dissect That Film. He's on YouTube. It's on uh, TikTok. You can find, and he's doing video content uh, talking about the same movies as we do usually posts within a week of our episodes dropping. So uh, yeah, check that out. It's It's been fun so far. We open with the chirping and croaking of nature at night. A freight train cuts through the scene, and on board we see two men throwing dice in an office compartment that so closely resembles the one from Terror Train, I assumed it was a reused set at first. The first guy to toss the dice loses in a plot-relevant fashion. You're right. (laughs) Snake eyes again. The dice loser complains about all the barking dogs on board and yells at them to shut up. He claims he lost because he couldn't concentrate with all the animal noise, specifically the dogs they're delivering to a racetrack and a snake headed for a nearby carnival, which is making no noise. Mm-hmm. What noise did you expect the snake to make? He's complaining about the snake. It's in a chest. Well, but the other guy way. actually makes the point. It's like, well, my snake isn't making any noise. Yeah. 
The Dice Loser asks why his friend bothers with carnival work, and he says the chicks love it. Dice Loser brings a club to check the train for hobos. I figured they were actually rolling dice to decide who would check the train for hobos. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that was the penalty for losing. As he passes through the luggage compartment full of dogs in cages, the door slams shut behind him, freaking him out. Do you guys recall the last time we saw dogs in cages in a train's luggage compartment? Oh, I do, but I don't remember what movie that was. I, I remember the movie, but As I they're passing through, they steal one of the dogs. And they name it Strudel. Yeah, because they're trying to pass themselves off as, like, wealthy people that, like... They're trying to pass this dog off as another dog that died on the train. Oh, then I don't... I definitely don't remember this. A dog that dies no, it's 30 like, times over the course of the movie. Yeah, it's the... It's running it, gag. It's, it's not the Dragon Queen. It's the other one, right? It's, it's one of those... Was it in black and white? No. No, but it is a period film. It takes place in the 30s. Oh, is it somewhere under the rainbow? No. Yes. You said the words. Under somewhere the rainbow under, is correct. Under the rainbow. Yes. <laughs> okay, that one. Yes. Chevy Chase is replacing the dog right. that was shot on the train. Yes. With just a random dog they stole out of the luggage compartment. Yes. Dice Loser spots the snake chest and freaks out when the master lock pops off and the lid tips open. He seems hypnotized by the rising cobra within until it strikes his face, shoving him back against the wall. The compartment's side door slides open, and after a few more strikes, he is thrown from the train. So, okay, so when he, <laughs> I laughed out loud at this one because when he strikes him, there's like this audible thud. As that's if that's it, the next guy. Oh, the next yeah. guy? Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Did you want to mention the thing about the lock, though, that you noticed? Oh, yeah. So, okay, so the lock is obviously like unlatching itself through, I don't know, Satan's powers. Yes. <laughs> Satan's snake magic. Satan's snake magic, but Satan's snake magic suddenly makes the loop that the lock goes into disappear after they cut back mm -hmm. to it so that the yeah. thing could just slide up without pulling the latch off. Perfect. <laughs> the lock-picking lawyer. <laughs> the other train worker is unexpectedly bitten by the dog in his compartment, and the door to the rest of the train mysteriously swings open on its own with glowing red light beyond. He's now face-to-face -face with the same cobra with an unmistakably visible plate of glass between them, Insanely, when the snake moves to strike the man, they left in the production audio of the snake thumping against glass instead of substituting a snake bite sound. Oh my god, this made me laugh so hard. It was like, okay, you could obviously take the thud out yeah. and then put in just some like hissing or slashing sound. Or just that, that standard, you know, that... <laughs> Like, yeah, like a whip sound. sound. Like, yeah. and, you know, anything. But they left the thud in, and I'm like, oh, so he didn't actually get bitten. Right. No, no, he got bitten. It's like, wait, was he actually <laughs> hiding behind a window, and I was supposed to see that? Because it's just... Thump. <laughs> and then you hear... <laughs> as it, slides it just down slowly the slides the whole way down. <laughs> Do you guys recall the last time we identified an actor separated from a cobra by glass? Was I don't think so. No? Oh. I was going to say Raiders. Raiders, I think, is the oh. last time we specifically saw glass between them. Because okay. for some reason in S, they were just allowed to get bit by snakes all <laughs> yeah. the time. Like every single actor got bit over the course of that movie. The man is quickly bleeding from the face and the train slows to a stop on the tracks. Is that how this would work? I feel like the train would just keep going. Yeah. Well, I, the well it might be a dead man switch, right? Well, I think the implication is that the snake has made it all the way to the engineering compartment because they, yeah. they mentioned that the engineer was found dead. But the engineer died of a heart attack, we'll learn later. Yeah. So he didn't actually get bit by the snake. He just died of shock when right. he saw what happened to the other guys. But I'm guessing maybe the engine was literally just wasn't being fueled anymore. Well, well I think most trains would be on a dead man switch. Mm -hmm. Right. That makes sense. 
Because that's where that phrase comes from. Yeah, because yeah. the guy died. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you die and fall onto the pedal, that's the train. Right. <laughs> we dipped a black for a Bible verse, and the angel seized the serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. After that, he must be loosed for a while. Revelations 20 to 3. Do you guys recall the last time we opened a movie with scripture? I can think of two examples. Is it Image of the Beast? Image of the Beast was one of my examples, yes. There was another one I could think of. Image of the Beast was the one where it was like wizards who peep and mutter or something like that. <laughs> but Deadly Blessing. Mm. I can't even remember what it was, but whatever it was, it didn't make any sense to us by the end of the film. We cut to Fritz Weaver as Father Pharaoh. He is just finishing dinner by himself when a woman named Mrs. Carson checks in to clear the table. He thanks her for the meal. We learn quickly he's a little strange for a man of the cloth. Do you know why a pig is like a saint? No, Father. Because he gets more praise after he's dead than when he's alive. In my get a. Now that's not the sort of joke one expects to hear from a priest. He stands from the table to read by the fireplace, and we see a hand-drawn illustration of nude men and women wrapped in snakes in a cave. I believe it's supposed to be Dante's Inferno. I think so. Because it said Kanto on the uh, on the other page. What does Kanto mean? Uh, I don't know. I assumed it meant <laughs> chapter because it's like canto it, and then Roman numerals. It might mean verse. Maybe. Because uh, it was like canto 25 or something like yeah, that. Cause, uh, yeah, because I've, I've thumbed through my copy of Dante's Inferno. Oh, okay. But I've never actually like sat down and like gave it a good read. I've just seen Dante's Peak. Is it similar? Oh, y- you know, it's exactly <laughs> the same. It's basically the same. Um, uh, coffee is, you know, kept not cut in the refrigerator. You don't keep coffee oh, okay. in the fridge. That makes sense. Still Pierce Brosnan though. <laughs> <laughs> he sets the book down to warm his hands by the fire and it flicks off instantaneously when he touches the wood it's not even hot or i guess it's not hot <laughs> he doesn't react yeah, to it yeah, in a way exactly. that indicates that it's hot but i don't isn't that like those fireproof logs are not supposed to really get hot but i don't think this is one of those concrete <laughs> log fireplaces i think this is before that we jump forward some time to father pharaoh at a party drinking and staring out the window without speaking to anyone we'll learn he's new to town and presumably he's here to meet people, but he's meeting people the way I meet people, by hiding from them and (laughs) expecting them to come find me and force me to talk. (laughs) We cut to party guest Evelyn, the town's self-declared witch, cornering one of the higher-profile guests, Matt Perry, who introduces his daughter Kim to the witch. Are you really? Yes, really. Kim here is, of course, being played by the feature film debut of a young Christina Applegate. Do you guys recall the last Matt Perry we discussed on the podcast? Hint, it was not the actor... But the character was an identically named historical figure. Oh, Bushido Blade. That's right. Ah. Commodore Perry. Yeah. Evelyn claims she's one of the good witches, and Matt is called away by his wife Elizabeth to interrupt his friend Mayor Grady Thorpe, who's reportedly making campaign promises in another room. Elizabeth is being played by Nancy Pretty, Applegate's actual mother. Evelyn offers Elizabeth more ice, but she warns against diluting the drink if she wants to survive this party. Mother, daughter, and witch take seats in the den to discuss witchcraft. Evelyn scoffs at questions about crystal balls like they are ridiculous, before suggesting she can read people's futures from their coffee backwash. Rounds in the coffee cup can tell a lot. Kim offers her emptied mug of hot cocoa, but Evelyn explains that this is unfortunately useless to her powers. Okay, now, I am not a coffee drinker, but is there, like, I know that there's loose leaf tea and you could read tea leaves, Mm -hmm. Are there people grounds used in to the have cup? grounds in coffee because Before I th- paper was invented. <laughs> they just didn't filter that. I don't out. understand. I thought like you have a French press and that squeezes all the grounds out, and then or you have a, a filter that it goes through. Yeah. Uh, 
there have definitely been instances uh, of being at restaurants or even at home where there's grounds uh, there, in the there's, coffee. But it's usually not like super coarse grounds. It's usually like just really kind of like fine grit. Have you ever been able to get a reading off of them? Or? <laughs> no, I, no. I, okay. yeah. I wonder if she can just take the paper out of the coffee machine and get like a average of the party's future. <laughs> Every, everyone who's, who's had a drink. She could tell how the night went. But then so could people who are paying attention. She takes Kim's hand before ordering her to obey her parents. Like that's her fortune telling. And I guess it pays off over the course of the story because she doesn't and yeah. she should have. <laughs> but also she she cringes like it's like, oh, oh, she knows. Like yeah. she knows. It's like, yeah, what child doesn't yeah. does obey their parents? What all are the, the chances time? that I'm disobeying my parents? I'm not even supposed to be drinking coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a child. She said it was cocoa. Oh, that's true. We see Mr. Perry dragging the mayor out of the party and ordering him not to talk so much for fear he will turn away voters. Perry asks Evelyn what her powers say about the new dog track he's building in town. Father Farrow jumps into the chat to share that he doesn't approve of bringing such a vice to town that will inherently hurt some people, but Perry says that he's more concerned with the opinions of taxpayers. Ooh, sick burn. Farrow is introduced to the witch, and he seems fully briefed on her role in this town. She says she's researched his family line a bit in advance of his arrival and finds it fascinating. The family line records all the way back to the ancient druids. She steals his coffee cup when he finishes it, curious to read the grounds, but when she does, she faints and drops the cup and he barely catches her. <coughs> Sometime later, she has recovered and he walks her to her car. On the way, she shares a sobering prediction. She senses a powerful evil. It was as if I were looking into the face of Satan. <laughs> Parlor tricks are one thing. We're alone now. You. We're not alone. She urges him to take the warning seriously, but he assures her that if Satan was here to collect a priest's soul, he wouldn't bother with Pharaoh's. As he loads her into her car, he begs her not to worry herself on his account. He wanders back to the porch, and as he sits, the shadow of a snake rises behind him, and we cut to a farm where two men load up a trailer with firewood. Suddenly, one of the men is attacked by a rattlesnake, and the other man races over to lop off its head. A second snake, the cobra from the train, watches the interaction and hisses unnoticed. Do you recall the last time we chopped the head off of a snake? Last time we chopped the head off of a snake. Did it happen in... S uh, I don't think... That's not the one I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of a very clearly head chopped off of snake. Because I do remember they killed a snake, but maybe it didn't get its head chopped off. Clearly chopped the head off of a snake. It was a real snake. Oh, Friday the 13th. Yeah. Yeah. We cut right to a hospital as Sheriff Tatum walks out, and he's intercepted by live reporter Denise Williams looking for details on the story. Turns out this isn't about the farmer, but the train employees who were discovered this morning on the stopped train. The only survivor, the brakeman, is in critical condition. She asks if this will affect the opening of a new dog track, but honestly, I don't see a connection. I mean, there were dogs on the train, mm -hmm. but they found the train, so the dogs can be safely transported to the track. Yeah, I mean, unless all the dogs... Froze were, to death. Yeah. Like, th I think that would have been, like, like pretty intense. Like, it's like yeah. all, all the dogs had been bitten or, or, or died. Yeah, you know? but it, we get the impression that basically the snake jumped off the train after it yeah. did mm -hmm. that. I mean, I think it's a pretty important plot line that the guy wants to keep the track opening happening no matter what. It's important mm -hmm. to the so, screenwriter, but I'll argue guess, that it doesn't make a <laughs> lot of sense to the plot. Well, fair enough. Yeah. But I, I, I'm just saying, like, 
Otherwise, we can't we can't kill the dogs. Yeah, because we, we have need, to keep bringing up the dogs. The greyhound races yeah. to keep going. And and is that how race tracks dog tracks work? I mean, they just. I just need like a good shipment of greyhounds. Aren't, aren't like, they? Don't people bring the dogs? Yeah, that they like, trained like, themselves. Exactly. The film plays Matt Perry and his dog track like a Jaws Mayer situation, but these people aren't being bitten by dogs at the racetrack, so I don't see a connection. <laughs> we see the brakeman in his bed struggling to say the word snake. When his attending physician, Doctor Sheridan, arrives, she asks the nurse what he was trying to say, but she didn't quite hear it. It sounded something like a uh, steak or quake. I wanted her to be like, I'm going to order him some steak and shake. <laughs> he probably wants some some food. We follow Dr. Sheridan through the hospital to meet with Father Farrow and update him somewhat callously on the man's condition. Uh, Maggie, I got here as fast as I could. How's the patient? Crossing over into your territory. The farmer from earlier is rolled down the hall next, and she learns that his son blames a snake bite for the condition. She heads to the morgue to see if she can learn anything from the bodies of the men who didn't survive the train attack. She finds the medical examiner, Dr. Owens, sleeping under a blanket on a gurney in the morgue. Do you recall the last time we saw someone sit up from a nap on a slab reserved for the dead? Oh, was it that one in the seaside town? Yeah. Uh, what was the name of that movie? Ports? Port? No. It wasn't the name of the town. It wasn't the name yeah, of the town. It was, um, it, it's not dead, dead and Buried? Dead and Buried. Yeah. Ah. I think it was called Potter's Bluff. Yeah. Owens starts to tell her what he's learned from the bodies, and you're never going to believe this. He's got a morbid sense of humor and a bedpan full of fried chicken, mm. just like every fucking morgue employee in every fucking movie ever. Yeah, there's no there's no remember the last time because no. every time we've ever seen a morgue, yep. somebody is eating. <laughs> At this point, it would be more original to portray one of these guys as boring and unwilling mm-hmm. to eat on the job. So, okay, so I'm, I feel like I'm less bothered by the fact that he eats around the bodies and more bothered by the fact that he just had chicken randomly sitting on a shelf in his office in, like, a dissection pan. Yeah. Like, how long has that been there? Yeah, it's pretty gross. But it's supposed to be. And that's why these guys just can't stop eating whenever there's a camera in the morgue. When he unveils the train's engineer, he blames a massive coronary, but for the other victim, his face has two big holes above his cheekbone, which appear massively infected. He suspects a snake bite, but that's off the record. He warns her not to make any public statements that might reflect poorly on the dog track, and she voices my biggest problem with this whole plot. What's the dog track got to do with it? His attempt to connect the two plot devices is rambling, but amounts to nothing more than people will spread snake rumors until everyone's too scared to go anywhere. She says she's seen lots of snake bites, but this might be the worst. She suggests bringing in a herpetologist from the local university, and again, Dr. Owens says Perry won't like it. We cut to her at the airport, watching a plane slowly land, and then slowly taxi, and then a passenger slowly disembarks, and it's like, this didn't. He he could have just been stepping into a car with her already. We didn't need to see this whole shot. I mean, I'm glad you got a plane for the movie. <laughs> this is Dr. Hendricks, the herpetologist, and he's sexist. Uh, there's supposed to be Dr. Sheridan who picked me up here. He sent you. I'm Dr. Sheridan. Whoops. <laughs> Without having seen anything, he warns her that she might be wasting his time. She pulls up to the hospital and realizes she needs to make a stop along the way to the morgue. I just want to drop in on one patient. It's on the way to the lab. Is that okay? No. And then she just laughs awkwardly. I actually like that he never breaks in this scene. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. He just leaves it at that. And he keeps this serious, angry face. It's completely it's completely unprofessional. Yeah. <laughs> they pop in to check on the farmer. And Son says a rattler got his daddy. How do you know it was a rattler? Probably the rattle. <laughs> that would be my guess. These are farmers. They know what a rattler looks like. The man explains further that even after he cut off the snake's head, the body stood straight up on its tail somehow. He even has the snake's body with him to prove the species. Dr. Hendricks seems a bit surprised by the size of it, but it's nothing he hasn't seen. 
Dr. Sheridan thinks she can change his mind by showing off the bite wound on the other cadaver, but by the time they get to the morgue, the victim has already been transferred to a crematorium on Owen's orders, presumably handed down from the mayor. And we'll never see Owens again, I don't think. All right, he might come back for a little bit later. Yeah, he comes back, uh, he reads out like a report to oh, the town right. hall yes, meeting. Oh, that's correct. But did no one take any? I guess he would have taken photos as the pathologist, and then they got rid of those two probably. Yeah, but someone also mentions that, that Matt Perry called. So it seems like a favor is being called in from the owner of the dog track by Matt Perry. Could he be any more of a villain? <laughs> we cut to the tail end of a man's house call confession with Father Pharaoh. The priest urges the young man to consider ditching drug use and getting high on God. You know, when problems build up, you can give him the God, you know. He can be quite a trip, too. Yeah, Father. I know what you mean. <laughs> that time I took LSD, it saw God. <laughs> yeah. He was weird, man. <laughs> it's like, he just, he just lets the kid go, and he's like, yeah, job well done. I saved that child's life. <laughs> when the man leaves, Pharaoh gets a call from Evelyn. She informs him of the recent deaths in town and blames her vision of Satan's approach. He offers to come check on her, but she demands he stay home safe so she can come to him. Back at the hospital, Dr. Hendricks prepares to leave since she has nothing to show him, but he invites her to call him back whenever. His taxi veers all over the road on the way to the airport, occasionally drifting over the lane into oncoming traffic, but the driver swears he has the roads memorized. They see lights in the rear view and are somehow pulled over by an ambulance. And at first he seems to think it's a police car, but yeah. it's like I could tell from just the lights that it was an ambulance. There's no blue. Sheridan is behind the wheel of the ambulance. She raced out to show him another outrageous snake bite, and to avoid losing it this time, she brought it with her. It's Evelyn. Hendricks agrees to return to the hospital with her. The taxi driver seems to wait here, as if Hendricks will be back to finish his ride soon. You guys recall the last time we saw a cab driver keep the meter running? Was it airplane? That was the one I was yeah. thinking yeah. of. I think we also saw it in the out-of-towners when Jack Lemon keeps running into different train stations that are closing as he's getting to them. Because he, like, writes down the taxi driver's address like he's going to mail him the money or something like that. Yeah. In town, Deputy Jack informs the sheriff that a snake has been cornered at a local hardware store and people are concerned about it. Sheriff Tatum heads right there. As he searches the store, we get a wholly unnecessary insert of a rat getting snapped shut in a trap as a jump scare. I'm hoping this was like stock footage of a rat in a rat trap. Yeah. In the back room, he eventually finds the snake climbing around on paper bags of corn feed, and he shoots the animal dead. It's an impressive shot, but I, I think it's literally just the snake slithering to the ground, and they were like, that looks enough like it's dying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dr. Hendricks drops Dr. Sheridan off at her place and borrows her car to drive to his hotel. Inside, she strips down for a shower, and we keep getting glimpses of a snake creeping around her room. She gets totally undressed, showered, and dried without ever seeing it, though, despite both of them being in the shower together for some of that time. Do you guys recall the last times we've seen people showering with snakes? Well, or bathing with snakes, I should say? Well, Deadly Blessing is one of them. Deadly Blessing is one of them. Saturday the 14th? Oh, wait, no, that was the fish man. Yeah, that was like a whole creature <laughs> from like the Black a whole Lagoon. Guy. <laughs> the other two were 70s titles. One of them had a lot of snakes in it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it bites a guy on the foot when he's in the shower. Right, right, right. And then when he dies, his girlfriend thinks it's because she had sex with him too much. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's another one where it scares two people in the shower. And the second person, when she freaks out, the first guy who got scared says, oh, you should have brought a mongoose in there with you. Oh, uh, James Bond, The it's uh, Live and Let Die? That's correct. At one point, the camera even pans away to a window, and outside we see another shadow rising up, implying, I believe, a second snake, but I've never seen a less convincing hand puppet of a snake. <laughs> so I'm certain there's just a weird dude outside. <laughs> 
When she's fully redressed, she finally sees the creature slithering around her room and she's petrified in fear at the head of her bed as it slowly creeps across the comforter toward her. She reaches for the phone and calls Dr. Hendricks. <laughs> and we cut right from him answering to him flying down the stairs and running out of the Utah hotel to the car. Somehow, Sheridan and the snake stay locked in their staring contest the whole time until Hendricks arrives and suggests simply getting out of the bed. He uses a snake pole to loop up the rattler's head, and he's pulling the rope so tight around its neck that I worried he was just going to decapitate yeah. a real snake in the scene. Like, he's he looks like he's exerting so hard, and the snake's yeah. neck looks yeah. so pinched yeah. that I was really freaking out that they were just going to lop the head off Ugh. of the snake. Instead, he pulls out a gun with the rattler pinned to the bedroom wall and shoots it in the face, taking the top half of its head off, unveiling a spurting fountain of blood within. I feel like that was very unnecessary because now that you have yeah. control of the head, mm -hmm. uh, looped, Put it in, the looped net. in this little lasso thing, yeah. you're a herpetologist. You know how to handle snakes. Yeah. Like Lift it up and, and take it out of there. Put it in a pillowcase. Like yeah. Get it out of it. There's no reason to shoot it or at the very, I mean, even if you're planning to kill the snake, there's no reason to put a bullet hole in this woman's headboard. <laughs> right. And and I wanted her to be like, oh no, like the kids sleep on that side of the wall. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you shouldn't have shot that. Also, where did he get the gun? Uh, she hands it to him. <laughs> like she puts it in gun. his hand so that he can shoot it. It's like, first of all, there's two of us. I'll hold him. You shoot him. But yeah. sure, I'll do, I'll do both jobs. As a scientist, though, wouldn't you want to study this creature that has allegedly killed several people in the town? The silhouette of the cobra outside shrinks out of sight. It seems like the train snake is, like, hypnotizing the other snakes into mm, doing yeah, it to yeah. But why? And why, also, why? doesn't why, it just attack everyone? Why? Why? So if we're to assume what the goal of the snake is, I don't get why it's going after, like, I get why Evelyn. Evelyn's death I understand. I think it's just um, trying to get his attention, and it's doing that by attacking as many people as it encounters as quickly as it can. I don't know the geography of the town, but yeah. may maybe it's moving toward him if we looked at a map. Oh, okay. Nobody ever triangulates this. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, we, did, we need the Kevin Bacon moment of, it's coming right for us. Yeah, or, or the uh, Wiggum moment of like, oh, God, they're coming for the station. <laughs> Sheridan is still panicking until Hendrix walks up and slaps her. She slaps him right back. Do you guys recall the last time we saw a man slap a woman for being hysterical and then she slapped the man back? Airplane? Nope. I was just thinking of the slapping scene. There's a lot of slapping yeah. in there. It's a slapstick. You liked the movie a lot. Oh. I found a Blu-ray of it, by the way. I'm replacing the standard death that I Is it, is it Sphinx? It is Sphinx. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, I only like one movie. <laughs> Sphinx. It must well, be I'm Sphinx. Yeah, I was trying to think of what, what movies do I like that no one else likes. Yep. <laughs> She apologizes for hitting him, and he holds her. Did I hurt you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the deadpan delivery is so great. Like, I really like this guy. I know. The dialogue is great. The next morning, Mrs. Carson stops by Pharaoh's place to deliver some groceries and brings word that Evelyn, who had intended to visit his home last night, was discovered dead yesterday. She wasn't even very far away from here. She was found on Spring Street. But she must have been on her way here. We cut back to Sheridan's place, where she and Hendricks share a seemingly post-coital breakfast and kiss. Suddenly, Pharaoh comes tromping out of the woods <laughs> as though he walked in a straight line directly here from his place. He interrupts their romantic gesture with news that Evelyn died yesterday, and he wants to know some details on the case, since they obviously already know. They found her body. Also, Dr. Sheridan's, like, really upset to see him. She's like, what's he doing here? Yeah. It's, like, it's like, do you know each other? Is this your other boyfriend? <laughs> They hesitate to admit their strong suspicion that a snake bite is to blame. The wound 
was extraordinary. I've been studying snakes for 20 years, and I can't identify it. But you just identified it as a snake mm-hmm. bite. And and how old are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Since I was four years old, I've been studying snake bites. Pharaoh is less forthcoming with his suspicion that this unidentified snake possibly shares the blame with Satan himself. Pharaoh goes to visit his uncle, the local Monsignor, to discuss these events. Dr. Sheridan goes to speak with the mayor and urge him to announce the danger of these snake attacks to the public. I don't know why she needs his permission. She could easily go to the press herself and they would kill to report on a killer snake infestation that would undoubtedly boost their readership. The mayor downplays the threat of the snakes and for some reason she bothers trying to convince him further, but he emptily promises to look into it when he feels like it. She doesn't work for the mayor. This isn't Jaws. This isn't Chief Brody holding his tongue on direct orders. She works for a hospital. She storms out of his office and continues telling nobody in a position to do anything about it. We cut back to the priest and Monsignor, where we learn a bit of backstory. Apparently, Pharaoh's father's cause of death was kept secret from him. My father, he died in the war. He took his own life. What? Despite protecting Father Pharaoh's feelings well beyond adulthood, the Monsignor describes further how Pharaoh's dad was found all sliced up with a razor blade by his own hand. Are you sure that was a suicide? (laughs) It seems completely insane. He could have been that guy from Airplane who was trying to shave on the plane. Yeah. It's <laughs> just really <laughs> too much turbulence. The whole family line seems cursed every three generations to a violent death. I traced it all the way back, astounded, until I came to Ophara, a follower of St. Patrick. Apparently, Ophara drew the ire of the pagans and druids driven from Ireland by St. Patrick. They put a curse on his family, which survives today. Oddly, though, he specifies the curse only affects every third generation, but if Pharaoh's father was a victim, he should be in the clear. (laughs) And we don't see any Pharaoh kids either. Yeah. The Monsignor mentions that the curse might appear in the form of animals acting strangely. It's like, oh, well, no wonder you found it every three generations. Like, animals acted strangely every 100 years, (laughs) all the way back to St. Patrick? Snakes. Remember Genesis. The snake was the first form that Satan ever took. Pharaoh seeks guidance, and the Monsignor reminds him his faith in God is a strong weapon. And Pharaoh makes a face like, yeah, about that. <laughs> might might not be so great. And this is where we start to step more into the, the exorcist metaphor of this film, because this is a combination of Jaws and the exorcist. He admits that he's struggling with his faith right now, and the Monsignor suspects that Pharaoh's doubts are what have drawn Satan to him. A priest would make a bright flame in hell. Because no priest anywhere else in the world has doubts. Right. Isn't there also a lot of fire down there? <laughs> Do they need more lights? <laughs> we cut to a 30-second scene of a boy and girl about to make out in an abandoned sawmill when a snake drops from the ceiling and we hard cut to Deputy Jack closing up the back of an ambulance. God damn That's it. That's all we get. That's the whole thing. I didn't even know it was a sawmill. Yeah. yeah. Like, I thought this was just a bridge. Yeah, I was like, oh boy, here we go, the old mill. <laughs> Uh, nothing. 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 You so stupid. <laughs> the ambulance pulls away, leaving Jack and Sheriff Tatum to explore the area. Jack sees a rustling bush and draws his gun, but it turns out to be a passing girl on a hike. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. say anything like murderous snake about. It's like a six-year-old child out by herself. Yeah. <laughs> She's like 10 miles away from the next house. She just says hi. Walks <laughs> I'm on. just doing a half marathon. See ya. <laughs> He continues looking around through the thick plant life and seems to find something shocking, but we never get a reverse angle from his POV, and he falls out of frame as Tatum calls out desperately from his radio. It reminded me of the Metal Gear Solid games, except these guys aren't on Snake's team. Yeah. 
Snake! Snake! He's like, no, I saw a snake. I'm calling to you about it. When Tatum finds Jack, he rolls the deputy over to see a gaping, bloody bite wound on his face, and we cut right to Evelyn's funeral. Pharaoh's eulogy is rambling, and he is clearly the saddest of the mourners. He just doesn't know what to say. When everyone leaves, he places a final white carnation on her coffin, and as he kneels with his eyes closed, the crucifix from his necklace falls to the ground, but he doesn't seem to notice. Reminding me that this self-avowed witch might not have wanted a full Christian burial, but she also seemed to believe in Pharaoh's god and devil, so who knows. Do you guys recall the last time we saw a priest desecrating a pagan grave with a crucifix? The Wicker Man. That's right. While Pharaoh continues pray- Oh, by the way, speaking of Pharaoh, did you guys hear who, who passed away today? Oh, no, Mia, uh, Mia Tisa, her oh, sister wow. th- that was in the zombie movie, who I had spoken with a bit on Twitter because she liked our review of zombie. Yeah, I guess she passed away on the 10th. Um, I just heard about it today. But her Twitter handle is TFBoxCar, which is Tisa Pharaoh and then Boxcar because in the movie Zombie, they're pretending that they were having sex on the boat when the police find them. And then he says, I would have been happy to do it in a boxcar. And she says, oh, no, not another boxcar. <laughs> so it's clearly a zombie reference. While Pharaoh continues praying with his eyes closed, a hand grips his shoulder and the Monsignor apologizes for startling him. He's brought another entire book on the Pharaoh family, but it's in Gaelic, so he can't read a lot of it. He's found one example in the whole Pharaoh descendancy that escaped the every third generation curse. Now it says here that Timothy faced the demon who was in the form of a large serpent and defeated him. He goes on to say that Timothy faced the animal in his own home and drove it away with a gold sign. Hmm, what kind of gold sign might a priest have driven away a Satan snake with? By the way, I don't think we ever saw Pharaoh pick up the crucifix he just dropped, so it's still in the grass back there. While they talk, the cobra that we've seen commanding the other... <laughs> He's a cobra commander, I just realized that. <laughs> While they talk, the cobra we've seen commanding the film's other snakes rises beside them, and the Monsignor is shocked to speechlessness and an apparent heart attack, same as the train engineer. When the snake hisses, Pharaoh tries to shepherd the Monsignor away through the cemetery, and the snake is never believably keeping up with these two elderly men. When the Monsignor stops to catch his breath, he urges Pharaoh to save himself. It's you he wants. Pharaoh runs full well, speed away. That's not really saving himself. Yeah. He's, he's saying... Let him chase you so that I live. <laughs> well, I, I, th- I think he's saying you don't need to drag me through yeah, yeah. this cemetery because he's he's not after me. Just let let go and run faster. And again, though, if like this whole this whole concept of that it's Father Pharaoh that the snake wants, then why is it going around killing all these other yeah. random people? And you're actually, if my dad was from that generation, then you are also of the Pharaoh family from the generation that is doomed. Mm-hmm. So why doesn't it want you? It's supposed it, to be the oldest son of the third generation. Yeah, but this guy isn't the third. <laughs> he's, the, he's the first one down. It, it'd be one thing if it was killing people that he cared about to torture him, but he's new to town. He doesn't right. know anybody. Yeah. Pharaoh runs full speed away until he falls into an open grave. The more inserts we get of the snake hissing, the more obvious and depressingly we can see that it has been defanged. Yeah. By the way, do you guys recall the last time we saw someone in an empty grave terrified of snakes? In that film, the snakes actually enter the grave, though. Lots of them. Because they've been collected over months to be dumped in this grave with the guy. Is it phobia? No. Seems like something that they do in Mm. phobia. (laughs) It was a Patreon episode. It took place in sort of a Wild West situation. Jason Robards has been collecting snakes. Oh, what's the name of that? It was like Daisy something or Flower Moon something. No, but there is a song in that. (sighs) Butterfly Mornings. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. That's not what it's called, though. No, it's it's the guy's name. Oh, it is the guy's name. Okay. Uh, 
He says it a lot Hope, in the movie. Uh, uh, Cable Hogue? There you go. Yeah. Is it the bad? I don't remember that at all. The Ballad, Ballad of, of Cable Hogue. Hogue. He's got this bag and we keep seeing him picking up snakes for the whole movie. Huh. And then yeah, at the yeah, end yeah. when he finally lures the bad guys back to his place, when they think they're digging for his treasure, they're actually digging their own grave. And mm. then he dumps a bunch of rattlesnakes. Yeah. In oh, yeah. That's great. I like that one. Pharaoh struggles to escape the grave and grapples for a grip on a nearby wrought iron fence. When a section comes loose, he wields the rod as a weapon, but turning it over in his hands, it takes on the shape of a crucifix, replacing the one he unknowingly dropped, and the snake is seemingly pissed off by the image. By the time Pharaoh finally escapes the hole, the Monsignor is just saying Tom over and over again. Pharaoh says a Latin prayer over his fallen uncle and finally recognizes the crucifix-shaped rod in his hand. We cut now to Hendrix, the herpetologist, who's holding a Q&A with the entire town in their town hall. Thankfully, Dr. Sheridan has decided to spread the word without the mayor's blessing. Unfortunately, not only were the mayor's fears unwarranted, the town isn't panicked at all by the story, and they tend not to believe it without having heard the mayor's side of the story. And it's like, this is a herpetologist. I'm a doctor. Why do you need the mayor to tell you it's okay? Like, the evidence, I feel like, is so overwhelming. At this point, I think we have... Five confirmed bitten in like dead mm-hmm. individuals. I think that three of them are dead, and a couple of them have been bitten and haven't died yet. The okay. only ones that well, maybe... die are the ones that are getting bit by the cobra. Okay, but we have five that have been bitten. I think yeah. that 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 went to the hospital. They were bitten. They're either dead or alive or whatever. They've been bitten by snakes, and then we have like four or five confirmed sightings of right. other snakes that yep. haven't actually bitten people. So I'm just like. Those two things combined are overwhelming evidence that there is a snake problem of some yeah. sort happening. But they're like, I don't know. What does Mayor Grady have to say about all this? Just then, Mayor Grady busts in demanding answers. What the hell is going on here? The mayor claims it's all bullshit and even forces Dr. Owens to corroborate by announcing that Evelyn died from a bee sting or, or two giant bee stings yeah. in her face about a fangs width apart. <laughs> The crowd is satisfied that there's no impending danger and begins to disperse until Father Pharaoh stands to demand the floor. Why wasn't he but, already on their side speaking? But why is nobody mentioning the other four people? Like, I don't know. you just dismissed one of them. Yeah. I was nearly killed by a giant snake this morning at Evelyn Downs' funeral. The town flip flops back to Team Snakes Exist, and Mayor <laughs> Grady, Mr. Perry, Doctors Owens, Sheridan, and Hendricks, and Father Farrow all step into the back office to discuss this threat in private for a moment. Perry tries to hardball the crowd by insisting that the dog track will open in exactly 24 hours, whether they like it or not. Nobody gives a fuck about your dog track, sir. Go home. In Jaws, the mayor was upset about closing the beaches because Mm -hmm. shark attacks mean people don't go to the beaches. These attacks aren't localized to the dog track. In fact, people might be safer at a dog track than at home or in public parks because at least they'd hear people around them screaming before the snake reached them. They should be advertising the dog track as snake-proof or something to drive customers (laughs) in. In tandem, the mayor and Perry have approved a brief town curfew in which the doctors are ordered to find and kill all the relevant snakes. But what happens when their time is up? What is their point here? Yeah. It's like if I said, you have 24 hours to solve world hunger. Maybe you'd solve it. But if you didn't, it's still an issue in need of a solution. They didn't cause the snake problem, so we can't punish them for not solving it fast enough. Also, it seems counter to what the mayor and what they want because establishing a curfew would would imply that that there's a danger. So he's just saying, solve this by tomorrow or else. I will have to think of another actual solution. <laughs> turn in your badge. Yeah. It's like, ah. <laughs> turn in your, your doctor's badge and your gun. Right. Which apparently you have. <laughs> yep. 
He threatens to throw them in jail if they remind people about snakes after the deadline. On what charge? We'll come up with something. To solve this problem as quickly as possible, they settle on the least practical method of searching for snakes, a fucking helicopter. <laughs> snakes are famous for hiding right underfoot until it's too late to run, so I don't know how anybody's going to see them from 500 feet in the air. Hendrix appears to be in the pilot seat, with Sheriff Tatum in the back, and mentions that snakes like rocky outcroppings, so they could have easily traded this helicopter for one of the city's geological studies. Where are rocks? There's rocks over there. But also, do devil snakes like the same shit as regular snakes? Like, who knows? Mm. These are weird snakes. We see Dr. Sheridan drive past a gas station when she's suddenly being followed by a biker. This is a weird scene. <laughs> the entire town is deputized to explore the rockier parts of the town's landscape and just decimate the local snake population. <laughs> These are probably the normal snakes that they're all killing right now. The biker starts tailgating Dr. Sheridan and then knocks on her window to hit on her. When she's not receptive, he pulls ahead of her. Out on the rocks, Hendrix catches a fifth rattler and notices a pattern. You know, it's like they're heading in the same direction. Back out on the road, Dr. Sheridan is still driving when the biker comes back to play chicken, aiming for a head-on collision. She swerves off the road to avoid him, and just as soon as she's back on the road, he cuts her off again. She locks all her doors to keep him out, but her car won't start, and he waves her out of the vehicle with a revolver. Where was she going? I would assume that she was headed to where these people are looking for snakes, but I don't know why she wouldn't have carpooled with them, because Hendrix doesn't have a car. So they should be... No, he has a helicopter. Right. <laughs> now he does, yeah. <laughs> Ho, 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 I have a helicopter. <laughs> I have to admit, I was a little worried that uh, with all the talk of St. Patrick and this snake movie that they were going to rip off my Leprechaunda pitch. But luckily, <laughs> they didn't overlap the plot of my terrific monster film. She locks all the doors to keep him out, but the car won't start, and he waves her out of the vehicle with a revolver. He throws her up against the car and puts the gun in her mouth. What the fuck is this movie about? What just happened? Like, this feels very much like a scene that they just added at the last second because they were like, we need another really intense moment that has no bearing on anything before or after it. He drags the barrel of the gun down to her chest, and just as his face is even with her waist, she screams, and the evil snake saves the day. <laughs> Each motorist returns to their vehicles, but she still can't get it started. But for no reason, we made the snake a good guy in one scene mm -hmm. who protects her from a rapist who immediately disappears. The snake uses its head... <laughs> The snake uses its head to bash out her driver's side window, and she finally gets the engine to turn over before driving away. We cut now to Matt Perry's home, where we learn that he literally hired the biker to rape and murder Dr. Sheridan to protect his completely unrelated dog track. What is this guy's problem? Nobody is talking to you. We cut back to the wilderness, where Hendrix and Sheriff Tatum have found a cave full of snakeskins and Hendrix suggests this is their central shelter. When they hold up the big snakeskin they found, the snake looks conservatively 15 feet long, and they are spooked. Inside the cave, we see dozens of snakes slithering in the cave's ponds. Now, we cut to Pharaoh's home, where Hendrix has drawn a fairly standard King Cobra drawing, and the priest confirms this is exactly the one he saw. <laughs> like, yeah, I just drew a cobra. Could have just, like, pulled this up in a book. Yeah, and, and who doesn't know what a cobra looks like? Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's right. It had these big wings on the side of its head. Yeah, that's a pretty normal snake. He tries to explain to them that this isn't just a dangerous snake, but one possessed by the devil. It's a snake. It's a goddamn big snake. It is Satan! Okay. I think it's time for you to take a little nap. Back at the Perry house that night, we see their daughter Kim sneaking out after curfew and spotting something in the grass outside. She eventually digs her kitty cat, Bandit, out of the plants, but she's caught bringing it back in. 
Her mother grounds her for a week for breaking curfew for like 10 seconds. Is this necessary? She went like 12 feet out into the yard to get her cat. And you're grounding her for a week? We cut to the next morning at the grand opening of Green Track Greyhound Racing. The parking lot features a bandstand and a parade of cheerleaders. A limo pulls up and outstep the mayor and Mr. Perry, who honestly could have been combined into one character. Yeah. I would like to call the mayor. <laughs> yeah, like just do uh, the Blood Island. Yeah. <laughs> it's like very are you, easy. Are you the mayor or the or real, real estate, estate agent? It's like I'm both. I'm <laughs> both of those things. I'm also a CSI. <laughs> I'm going to investigate the crime scene later. Complicating the matter further is the fact that these men look very similar and neither has a useful IMDb profile photo. So it took me like 10 minutes to confirm that Mr. Perry is entering the racetrack arm in arm with a female U.S. senator while the mayor follows arm in arm with Perry's wife. So the couple have been split up and for some reason the mayor isn't going in with a senator. The guy who owns this track is going in with a senator and that guy's wife is going in with the mayor. Perry tells the senator that this dog track will be one of the biggest things to ever happen to generic unnamed state. Unless this is Alabama as itself. I don't, I don't think anyone says the name of the state in the movie. We see Kim riding her bike through the crowds and just parking it at the curb without locking it up. Pretty sure she's supposed to be grounded, so I wouldn't leave my bike blocking the entrance to my dad's new job if I were her. Sheriff Tatum lets her inside ahead of the crowds to find her father. Inside, she notices her dad approaching the lobby and ducks into a dark closet to hide, but she's instantly bit by a rattlesnake. She throws open the door and screams for help, and her parents are quickly by her side. Man, and she's really good at being like a kid who's just absolutely in yeah. a yeah. fit of panic. It's honestly, she's the best actress I was gonna in the movie say, right she's here. By far, just this moment. Yep. We see Sheriff Tatum, who was just guarding the door at the track, dropping Hendrix off at the snake cave that they were both at together earlier today. I don't know why these scenes are all flopped around like this. But then he says he has to go back to the racetrack. Hendrix explores the cave with a flashlight and a snake pole. He's not being especially careful, and he's quickly bit and rolls unconscious to the floor of the cave. We cut back to Kim lying in a bed with her leg bite exposed. Her body is reacting so quickly to the venom that they aren't sending her to the hospital. The hospital is sending anti-venom here. Her father says he's going to cancel the park's opening, but the mayor is in too deep and won't let him now. We cut to Dr. Sheridan in a phone booth speaking with Father Farrow. Unclear if we're supposed to hear what she's saying. Yeah. But she is totally muted, so we only hear Farrow's half of the conversation asking where Hendrix is. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the Farrow side of the conversation was added because for whatever reason the audio that they had for her was completely lost. Do you th- it sounded 80 yard on his side, you think? No, I I think that she, they had her calling and probably had her making and since they didn't lines, have that audio they they went they, back and recorded something with him yeah they said it's like where is he at the caverns i'm going to repeat the things that you tell me <laughs> since no one else can hear them dr sheridan drives out to the cave in the woods and we cut to father pharaoh leading a church service oh, when she's driving out to the cave there's this weird like trombone or tuba music playing it's like <laughs> Womp, 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 womp. It's just like <laughs> it's like something that you would expect, like just like a bumbling idiot to to have played behind you. That's it wasn't weird. it? Wasn't tense? It sounds like that drunk Godzilla score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like what is happening? I was like, what is this, this is terrible music choice? Out of nowhere, something occurs to Pharaoh, and he says the word caverns while staring at a stained glass Illuminati window in his church. He wanders distracted out of the church to the confusion of the entire congregation. So. My grasping at straws for this moment, other than the fact that he already said the caverns on the phone to Dr. Sheridan. Is he thinking of the book that he read at the beginning? I I think he's thinking of 
the burial on the mound. Like he, like he's huh. he's he's like giving the stream like he's like doing the the you know this is my body like the whole the whole Last Supper thing and that's where yeah. you're thinking like oh the caves where like, the snakes go to die and then come back a week later. Yeah. <laughs> but he's literally looking at one of those like pyramids with an eyeball on it. Yeah. And it's yeah, like yeah. who built this church? <laughs> the Masons. That's who, obviously, because they build things. That's why they call them that. He just walks there too. Yep. <laughs> this then, guy walks everywhere. <laughs> which then just goes to prove where was Doctor Sheridan <laughs> yeah. driving to? Yeah. Father Pharaoh just gets everywhere by walking. He's just like got his Fitbit on constantly. We get a quick insert of snakes ar- of snakes arriving, in- arriving, arriving oh, probably, and that the text <laughs> fucked it up. <laughs> snakes just hop out of a taxi. <clears throat> we get a quick insert of snakes writhing in the cave, and Doctor Sheridan can be heard screaming. Then we see Pharaoh wandering over a hill toward the mouth of it. <laughs> Inside, we see Dr. Sheridan laid out across the top of a rock formation as if on an altar awaiting sacrifice. Yeah, I was like, how did this happen? <laughs> she slowly climbed up there and laid down. I was like, like this, Mr. Snake? Wait, is, is she possessed herself? I mean, she snake? has seemed paralyzed in the past by the snakes. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is an element of, like, you know, cause mind control from the jungle book. Yeah, but it's not like she froze and they picked her up and set her down there. I mean, maybe they did. If there was enough of them and they teamworked it. We we needed a scene where they were all over the floor and she had to jump up onto the altar. Or they were, like, mosh pitting her up there. Yeah. It's like a little conveyor belt. All the snakes roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they just form little cranes and they just yeah. hoist her up. Oh, man, I want to see that now. Like, like the wolves from... Uh, uh, Storks? Storks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pharaoh calls out to his enemy. Satan! Eventually, the satanic King Cobra presents itself, and Pharaoh wields a crucifix and recites Latin to drive it away. Dr. Sheridan appears unhurt, but is paralyzed with fear on her stalagmite pedestal. Pharaoh assures her the snake is here for him, and she can calm down. We cut back to the racetrack, where Kim is finally stable enough to load into an ambulance. When her parents follow Kim to the ambulance, her mother stops Mr. Perry and tells him he isn't invited. I'm going with her. So am I. No. You stay here. You take a look at this place and you just think what you almost paid for it. If he hadn't kept pretending people were trying to shut down the racetrack, he wouldn't even be in trouble right now. No one ever asked him to cancel the grand opening. It wouldn't have protected anyone anyway. Back in the cave, Pharaoh is laying on his back and praying to his god until a beam of light shines down on him, and he raises his crucifix to reflect God's light on the King Cobra, which bursts into flames. And we hold on this flaming cobra for a long time. <laughs> yeah. It seems like the snake venom is losing power all over town, and Hendrix awakens, staring in disbelief at this miracle. I feel like it would have made more sense to wait until the snake was dead to mention that the little girl had stabilized, because it doesn't make a lot of sense that all of these snakes are killing everyone in town in record time, mm-hmm. but that she survived it on her own before they killed the big snake. Well, and also, it, the you know, the cobra wasn't the one that bit her. Right, yeah, it was, it was just, a rattler. It was just a was... rattlesnake. Well, yeah. And presumably, same with Hendrix. Like, right, yeah. It was just one of the other rattlers yeah. in the cave. So really, there's only one snake to be worried about, and it's not, <laughs> most of these people are not getting bit by it. We fade to black on the flaming cobra and the credits roll. Oh, well, except, except you got to point out as this thing burns, there is just a bouncing wire in there right <laughs> yeah. to the end. It's perfect. <laughs> it was like. It's what? just a crook. Yeah, like a crooked wire. It was bouncing. like that was holding up whatever was. They told yeah. the puppeteer to just keep shaking just keep it the going. whole time. <laughs> you don't know. Just keep going. Yeah. This stick should have been manufactured to look like a spine or something so mm-hmm. that it made more sense. Oh, that would have been great. Like, yeah. Like you ever seen those candles where you melt? It's like a cat, but you melt it. It's like a metal skeleton. Inside. I have not yeah. seen that. That yeah. sounds cool, though. 
Uh, or maybe just make whatever you're puppeteering this thing with it flammable. Not so just, that it all burns away? So it all burns away or or just lower it as the pieces start to yeah. disintegrate. <laughs> or maybe they're just trying to keep continuity with the farmer who said, like, I cut off its head and it just stood up forever. And it's like, same if you burn it, apparently. <laughs> we fade to black on the flaming cobra and the credits roll. <laughs> That's Jaws of Satan, which should have been called King Cobra, but I get why they changed the name. Yeah. Honestly... It's significantly better than I was ever anticipating mm. it to be. With a name like Jaws of Satan and the idea that it's a, you know, Satan is a snake movie. Can I, th- I pitch you another title? I thought it was going to be terrible. Snake Sorcist? Wouldn't that have been? Sure. Mm. That's fine. It's a little bit more exploitation. But either way, like the production quality, we watched a really mm. nice looking print of it and- the acting wasn't that bad, and I'm like, this this could have been horrible. No, and I, it I wasn't. Think Fritz Weaver is is great, actually. Mm-hmm. I think he does a good job as this Father Pharaoh character. Well, and, and, and I, he's a pretty, I mean, he's a recognizable guy. He's a yeah. pretty decent name to have in a movie like this. Yeah, but this movie needed to be about Father Pharaoh or Doctor Sheridan and Doctor Hendricks. Yeah, like th- this. There's three or four plots here because they're not interacting with each other enough to be helping each other they're they're doing their own things and i i would have preferred either having this if the plot's going to be about the snake wanting to get this priest then we need to stay with him and have it be about him and his lack of faith and maybe losing touch with his congregation right because he's supposed to be the charis like that's mm -hmm. the whole point is that he's he's getting back in touch with his faith over the course of the story yeah which should have happened as soon as he was like oh satan is sending snakes after me okay now i'm completely Mm -hmm. back (laughs) <laughs> in yeah. full form because this is more proof than I had when I started being a priest. Yeah. I, I'm i not saying it's a great movie. No, it, it's, it's real got, slow. It's got, it's got some holes in it too, but it could have been so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> but there are so many scenes where it's like she goes to meet the herpetologist at the airport and it takes like a full 45 seconds before either of them says a word to each other because we're watching a plane land and taxi or when he like tucks the woman into the car and we watch him walk a hundred feet across the front yard and sit in a chair for 10 seconds. It's like, this is all we're stretching for time really to fill a lot of this space. But I, I I feel like there's not enough real action to make up for it. Even, even the snake getting its head cut off. We don't see that happen when the, when the farmer kills it. So much more at the sawmill. Yeah. There's, there's, (laughs) there's, and I get like, obviously I didn't want them to kill a real snake. So if that was their only other, you know, alternative, then okay, that's fine. But uh, I just feel like there's not enough here. But the performances are fine. Yeah. Uh, other than the friggin' sawmill. Yeah. Uh, that scene was totally pointless, and the the sudden biker rape scene was totally useless. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Because there's no consequences for yeah. for the mayor or Perry, whoever hired right. a killer to take care of Dr. Yeah. Sheridan. It's not like Kim finds, like, a receipt for an assassin. Yeah. <laughs> but that's so dark already. It's like... It was literally just a guy trying to keep his business open. He's like, I'm going to murder a doctor so that I can keep my business open. And it's like, nobody asked you to close it. Just wait for someone to ask you to close it before you hire someone to murder them. And also the mayor's on your team. Yeah, exactly. So you would have had to close it anyway. He wants it open more than you do. Yeah, see, so, yeah, should, like the mayor should have overheard that phone call and go, like, you you hired somebody to kill somebody? Yeah. He just walks out from the room behind him as he's making the phone call. Yeah. Um, also, I kept I kept saying Jaws of Satan, like that character from House of a Thousand Corpses. Jaws of Satan! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, so that's Jaws of Satan. 
It's a little silly. I think we get another snake movie right around the corner with Venom. Um, so we'll get to compare the two when we get to that point. I think the cast there is extraordinary because we have uh, Oliver Reed is one of the leads of it. I think uh, the author from Long Goodbye. Oh, uh, Hayden. Sterling Hayden's in there. And I, I, I feel like there's so much star power that it must be a reflection on the script. But mm. <laughs> with, with Oliver know. Reed, you never know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, Sterling Hayden, what did we see him in last? Gas, I think. Oh, no. <laughs> so maybe not. But uh, still, a, a snake movie with the two of them is is I would have bought a ticket. I think Klaus Kinski might even be in there. Really? Oh, my goodness. Because I think it's better. I uh. think he passed on the opportunity to be in something else that we covered because he wanted to be in Venom because of those other two actors. Huh. So <laughs> I'm hoping it's terrible. That'll be fun. <laughs> it's always fun when you have three great actors in a terrible movie. I still think this is probably a thumbs down for me. Really? Yeah, there's there's not enough here for me to say, oh, this this one's probably worth checking out. I've seen better Killer Snake movies for this podcast. I'll give it a thumbs up. I will give it a thumbs down. Uh, yeah, I, I got really upset when I saw the snake had been defanged. I yeah, mean, I, I guess I. I mean, I understand in the '80s and and for safety. But it's also but, not but, in a shot yeah. with anybody else. Exactly, it's, it's not in the shot with the actor, so it it feels unnecessary to me. Unless this snake had been defanged long before the production, mm. and it was not. For that purpose. I mean, it, it probably was. It was probably one of those, like, you know, rental animal type situations mm-hmm. that you get for movies. Yeah. And so it might have been defanged for film in general, but sure, maybe not sense. for this film. Yeah. And I mean, if it's being taken care of properly, then I guess it matters less that it's been defanged because it doesn't have to use the fangs to kill prey if yeah. you're just feeding it frozen mice or whatever. But who knows? Who knows how this snake survived? You feed them frozen mice? I think no. I mean, you cook them up. Defrost them. You defrost them first. (laughs) 20 minutes in in a a sink full of water. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be pretty gross to come home to. It's like my wife left me and all the mice are defrosted on the counter. (laughs) Make yourself dinner. What the fuck? (laughs) Sorry, that's all we had. (laughs) You love your snake more than you love me. Where's this going letterboxed? Um, I have it in the number two spot right now. It is below Zoot Suit and above Splits. I mean, we only have five movies yeah. here. Yeah, uh, I actually put it in number three. Okay. Uh, I have it below the Splits, uh, which probably is wrong, but... It, well, it definitely is wrong. <laughs> uh Maybe I will reconsider. No, I'm not. You know what? No, I'm believing it. I'm believing it. I have it right in the middle. It's in third place. It's uh, it. So I have Zoot Suit, The Aftermath, and then Jaws of Sin. Oh my God, you have okay. So now I feel better <laughs> that you have. I the love after- the Aftermath. Kind of a weird affinity. The Aftermath was so fun. That's so it weird. delivered on all the shit that I wish this film did. It didn't give us any of those shots that I really wanted to see. It just needed Kim to walk off alone, wondering about her life. I just needed to see one hostage's head explode, <laughs> and then this movie would have gotten a thumbs up. We, we almost got that. <laughs> almost. <laughs> There needed to be more. I guess they they were trying to leave it to the very end. It was like, it maybe is this really the devil? But it but we had the train scene with doors opening and closing and locks right. opening. Like clearly, there's some kind of supernatural force at work. Maybe uh, maybe it's just a poorly made train. <laughs> very agile. And maybe snake. that was just like a very concave crucifix he was holding because he's in a cave. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and con means it's with in Spanish, so with cave. <laughs> 
<laughs> it all checks out. Uh, but I, I feel like we needed more supernatural stuff. Like maybe the the people who had gotten bit like disappeared from the hospital and like they're all in the in the cave, you know? Like, yeah. Like I don't know, something 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 a little more extreme. Then yeah. I'm pretty sure that this snake is the devil, though we won't outright ever say it. Yeah. yeah. But I like that, though, because then it gives him a reason for, you know, going around and biting everybody. He's forming mm. his army. Yeah, 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 yeah. Our director here was Bob Claver. This is Claver's first and only non-TV directing credit. He directed multiple episodes each of The Partridge Family, Welcome Back, Cotter, Dukes of Hazard, Facts of Life, Mork and Mindy, and Small Wonder. The story here came from James Calloway. This is his only IMDb credit. The credited writer is Jerry Holland. This is his only writing credit. The music here came from Roger Calloway, who previously composed on the 76 A Star is Born, The Dark, and so far on the show The Silent Scream and Running Scared. He's back later this season scoring Evil Speak. The cinematographer here was Dean Cundy, which is why it looked great, honestly. Mm -hmm. The lighting was good and everything. Before this, he'd lit Where the Red Fern Grows, Halloween, Roller Boogie, and so far on the show, The Fog, Galaxina, Without Warning, Escape from New York, and Halloween 2. He's back this year for The Thing and Halloween 3, and later Psycho 2, Romancing the Stone, Back to the Future, Big Trouble in Little China, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Roadhouse, Hook, Death Becomes Her, Jurassic Park, The Flintstones, Casper, and Apollo 13. A lot of really well-lit films that I love. More recently, he's worked on Disney's Star Wars series, The Book of Boba Fett, and The Mandalorian. Fritz Weaver played Father Tom Farrow. We've seen him now in The Day of the Dolphin and Demon Seed. He's back later this season for Creep Show. He's Senator Sorensen on The X-Files, and he was John Reynolds in the Thomas Crown Affair remake in 99. One of his last credits was in Adam Sandler's The Cobbler, and Weaver died the same year, 2016, at the ripe old age of 90, working right up to the end. Gretchen Corbett played Dr. Maggie Sheridan. Prior to this, she was Beth Davenport in 33 episodes of The Rockford Files. We covered her last as Lieutenant Sheila Foster in our Minnesota review of PSI Factor. More recently, she's made a couple appearances on Portlandia, and she was Mac in Nicolas Cage's recent Pig film, which I haven't seen, but I've heard very good things mm-hmm. about. John Corcus played Dr. Paul Hendricks. We've covered his first two films with The Out-of-Towners and Catch-22, and more recently we saw him as spy-slash-dolphin-kidnapper in Day of the Dolphin. He's the guy who lied on the phone and then sold the dolphins to the bad guys. So him and Fritz Weaver yeah, they both were both bad that. guys yeah. in Day of the Dolphin. Later, he's Tim Calhoun in Singenor and Officer Tom Robinson on Oz. Norman Lloyd played the Monsignor. We saw him last as Carruthers in The Nude Bomb, and later he's Mr. Nolan in Dead Poet Society and Professor Galen on Star Trek The Next Generation. Keep in mind, the Monsignor is even older than the priest in this film, 12 years older than Fritz Weaver, but he actually outlived him by five years, passing away during the second season of our podcast, aged 106. Whoa. Wow. His final acting credit was in Amy Schumer's Trainwreck, and he was 101 at the time. Oh my goodness. Diana Douglas played Evelyn Downs. She's Hal Holbrook's wife in The Star Chamber, and she's Peg in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Bob Hanna played Matt Perry. We've seen him so far in Coal Miner's Daughter, Carney, Backroads. Later this season, he's back for Murder by Phone, Six Pack, and They Call Me Bruce. Nancy Pretty played Elizabeth Perry. This is the actual mother of Christina Applegate playing her daughter here. She also co-stars with her daughter in an episode of Married with Children, The Sweetest Thing, and most recently Bad Moms. So she brings her mom around for lots of jobs because I'm assuming her mom brought her along for this job. Christina Applegate played Kim Perry. This is her feature film debut after appearances in commercials and a Days of Our Lives episode. She obviously exploded to fame as Kelly Bundy on Fox's first sitcom, Married with Children. 
and followed with memorable turns in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, Mars Attacks, and as news anchor Veronica Corningstone in the Anchorman films. And she also just recently won, and was it the Emmys that she won an award and spoke? I, I know she spoke. I don't know. If I don't yeah. remember which award show it was, but I saw it clips was, of her. It was the Emmys, and she spoke. I, I don't know that she won anything. Oh, maybe she was just presenting something? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But either way, she got a standing ovation from the crowd because sure. she's been dealing with, I think, an, an MS, MS diagnosis. Yeah. and mm-hmm. um, So she's been having a hard time, but she was up and joking around, and, and she she seemed truly grateful for the reaction she got from the crowd, which is great. John McCurry played Sheriff George Tatum. We've seen him now in Atlantic City and Wolfen. Alan Simpson, or Aline Simpson? How would you pronounce this? A-L-L-E-N-E. Aline? I would say Aline. Yeah. Aline Simmons played Nurse Peggy. She's back this season for Porky's and Time Walker. I think that's everything for Jaws of Satan. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can find all our socials at linktree slash vintage video pod. If you enjoy what we're doing, consider giving us a review on iTunes. I don't think it helps visibility, but it's good for morale. What's that sound? We got one! That's right, it's a new patron, Lance Batty. As a $5 patron of the show, Lance now has access to 47 full-size 70s reviews and a hand in choosing next month's film. For March of 1974, our $5 patrons are choosing between the following four titles. The Great Gatsby, Jack Clayton's adaptation of F. Scott Fitzgerald's required reading classic with a script from Francis Ford Coppola and starring Robert Redford, Mia Farrow, Bruce Dern, Sam Waterston, and Karen Black. The Sugarland Express, Steven Spielberg's theatrical debut about a couple forced to take a policeman hostage on the path to kidnapping their son from a foster program. It stars Goldie Hawn, Ben Johnson, Michael Sachs, and William Atherton. The Super Cops, Gordon Park's action-adventure film based on the true story of NYPD officers Greenberg and Hance fighting the system to restore justice to the streets. It stars Ron Liebman, David Selby, Sheila Frazier, and Pat Hingle, and The Three Musketeers, Richard Lester's adaptation of Alexander Dumass's swashbuckling adventure novel, The Three Musketeers, about a young swordsman named D'Artagnan joining forces with three like-minded adventurers in 17th century Paris. Each of these films is competing for a 50th anniversary review next month. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Madman, which IMDb describes like so. A legendary psychopathic murderer stalks a summer camp. Fresh idea. We leave you now with a trailer for Madman. I was just looking at more stuff <clears throat> about Christina Applegate and her mom. They're both breast cancer survivors. Oh, interesting. Christina Applegate, at 36, had a double mastectomy. Yeah, I, I remember that. And mm-hmm. had her ovaries and fallopian tubes removed. Yeah, I remember my mom was, like, so proud of her for yeah. that. Yeah. Because even at the time, I remember there were people that were speaking out against it. They were saying, like, that's overkill and you shouldn't be encouraging people to do this. And it's like, fuck you, they're my but, boobs and yeah, I get to decide what like, happens to she, them. She had she had the gene mutation that yeah. made it likely to happen. They're and, trying to kill me. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, who, the, who cares? She and, obviously got fake ones put yeah, in. Yeah. yeah, and she was like, I can get them to look whatever I want, and, yeah. and it's going to be great. Didn't And Jolie did it, too, didn't she? I was going to say, most actresses have fake boobs these days. Why yeah. not? Why, why, not? why wouldn't you yeah. do that in that in that situation? Like, that makes the most sense. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, if, if, if I had testicular cancer. Then, yeah, just put some rubber things well, they, in they yeah, have exactly. those. They have those rubber balls. That's what I'm saying, yeah. That's like, what they call them. Get rid of them. There's a, there's a cute name for them, for the, for the fake nuts. I thought there, there was a cute name for the ones for dogs. It's the same ones they put on trucks, though. <laughs> it's not those at all. Nudicles. Nudicles. There you go. We leave you now with a trailer. Are you still recording? <laughs> we leave you now with a trailer for Mad Men. <laughs>
Many strange things happen around here. There is a tale. It was a night like tonight, many years ago. There is a legend. If you say his name above a whisper, he'll get you. There is a warning. On certain nights, when the moon is full, he's out there stalking in the woods. There is a madman. His name is Mars. Mad man. Mars. Mars! Madman Mars! Here we are! Come and get us, Madman! Don't you realize you're fooling with things beyond your control? Escape.